Hello everyone and welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. I'm Christy Doran, no Nick McArdle. Today he's already down in Melbourne, but we will continue without him. Today on the pod, we'll talk to Sikopi Kepu, the Wallabies tight head, who has a massive challenge on his hands, not only against the Irish, but Taniello, the Tongan Thor, Tupo too. We'll also get the Irish perspective when we call Jamie Heaslip over in Dublin. A couple of outstanding matches as well with the New Zealand and the French going head-to-head in Auckland, as well as a crazy result over in Johannesburg with the South Africans and English taking part in their first test match. So lots to look forward to. Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast. Joining me on the Fox Rugby Podcast today is Sam Worthington as well as Lou Ransom for her pod debut. Welcome to you. Thank you very much. Big fan. Very excited to be here. I bet it is. And I've, I've uh, been meaning to bring you on for the last few weeks. So it's it's good to finally have you here with us. And Sammy, you're back from Brisbane uh, up there for the week uh, with, the, with the first test match. Welcome back. And you, you don't have a cold, it seems, like you did for, for the majority of that. Yeah, the warm weather in Brisbane sorted me out. I didn't go swimming. Um, it was quite funny. The Irish press, press pack up there were loving the, the Gold Coast water. And then in the middle Weren't of the winter, they were um, spending a lot of time in the water, I think. Well, so I got to stick on the sideline because I'm wearing a coat yeah. all rugged up. And they're, they're in shorts and, and a shirt and just going, this is this is like summer. What are you doing? What are you wearing your big trench coat for? Well, they are loving life on tour. It's a great, yeah. great tour for them. But before we go any further, it would be remiss for me not to just ask the hard questions of Chris. Christy's coming to the studio here with a nasty stain on his green Irish pants. Can you just explain? I might actually tweet out a photo of that just to just to add some context. Look, I don't think anyone wants to see a photo of my crutch area, to be honest. Um, yes, as you know, I do like to drink a coffee, the occasional one in the car, perhaps a bit of breakfast. There was a spillage, but uh, look, less about that, really. The, the, the listeners don't want to hear about my coffee stains right over my green pants. I they? was promised coffee when I was coming here for my first podcast, too, and I, I don't have a coffee in front of me, I so I'm, I'm disappointed. I you you do, but coffee. Christy said he was going to bring one. That's why I said right. no to you. Yeah, anyway, okay. that's all right. Drama. To, to, yeah. be, drama. to be fair, I was thinking George Gregan's GG's would be open, but we're recording on a public holiday, <laughs> and uh, look, we're the only ones working. That's it, that's it. We're putting in the hard yards, but I guess we better talk about the, the rugby at some point. How, how good was it? Lou was up there as well. The atmosphere was superb. We had a, a sea of green behind one set, set of posts, didn't we? A lot of touring fans, and I think they, they got their money's worth, didn't they? Yeah, they certainly did. I flew up at about midday on the Saturday, and what was you know, pleasantly surprised at how many Wallabies jerseys were on my flight up. And then there were a couple of Irish caps as well. And then I think we were maybe thinking it was going to be lots of sea of green, but it was pretty much all gold besides that one end of the post but such a good atmosphere and it started from the beginning and then the way the game started I think everyone was just pumped for that first 15-20 minutes it was intense. The Irish anthem really got me fired up as oh, well. It's beautiful, it was, uh, isn't it? Lovely and just, just visually looks so great with the gold and the green there it was all, mm. all very spectacular so that was great. How did it come across on, on TV mate? Uh, I loved the drones from outside, some lovely angles I'm not sure if that was Stephen Hoyles who's often, uh, his equipment's uh, often used in in Fox broadcast, but it was it was beautiful and uh, the waving cat came through well. Check his cat. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did. It was picked up. Um, Sammy, you were there for the entire week. Uh, was the result eighteen points to nine? Uh, we'll kind of break down the the game in a, a moment, but was the result somewhat 
Um, like we're, we're Australia, the world number four, coming up against the number two nation, six nation Grand Slam champions. When those sides, though, dropped, did you think that this was a, a Wallaby side that could take down the Irish and go 1-0 up, given the, the big names that were left on the sideline? Yeah, it was a really hard game to call. I was probably leading towards Ireland, but then once uh, Joe Schmidt mixed up his team, some would some would say, you know, took you know, an educated punt, I guess, and, and tested his depth. Um, then, yeah, it was became a very hard game to call. But I must admit, with Ireland leading 9-8 with about 14 minutes to go and... You know, Australia was making some mistakes and it seemed to be playing into Ireland's hands. Johnny Sexton had come on and I thought, OK, I think Australia is in trouble here. Obviously, the disallowed try to Falau. But, um, yeah, as you quite rightly pointed out, um, and instead of dropping their bundle after that call, they actually lifted their game, didn't they, and, and made the key plays. Obviously, David Pocock immense. Michael Hooper, a very ballsy decision there to go for the try and not, and not the point. So, yeah, extremely encouraging signs as well. Kirtley Beal uh, played very well. And so I think Australia now um, can say they've got, you know, five or six world-class players at the moment, which um, bodes very well, you know, with, with the World Cup around the corner. Yeah, exactly right. I think uh, just the, the skill level, I think, was really impressive this test match because we've been frustrated as Wallabies fans of, you know, just the simple errors they've been doing. And maybe besides a few errant kicks that maybe weren't the right choices at times, the actual skill level, I thought, was really impressive. And then just the physicality from the get-go. Some of those tackles from Kurtley Beale, from Marika yeah. Corabetti were intense. I said to Bernard Foley after the match, what have you guys been doing to those tackle bags at training? Because they must have been getting absolutely pummeled. I think that's what one of Michael Checker's great strengths, clearly, is the ability for him to get a side, or one of his sides, just totally focused and, and ready for for the match. Uh, uh, it was it was blistering, and, and clearly I was watching down in Sydney, but you could you could feel the force um, even from here just being picked up on the pictures. What was it like on, on ground level looking at it? Yeah, I mean, Peter Omani, the Irish captain afterwards, said, you know, made an interesting point that Australian rugby is not necessarily known for that, that physicality, is it? It's more synonymous with skill and speed. Um, but yeah, they've clearly made that an emphasis, an emphasis, and they've got some huge men, don't they? Um, you know, to some great athletes as well. And it was quite noticeable in the back line, you know, that the, the Australians, some of their athletes, Caribbean, Falau, they looked a lot more dangerous than Ireland did, really. Um, so it was an interesting clash of styles um, with, with Ireland trying to grind away and play that phase play, whereas Australia would just try and strike straight away with Kirtley Beal, get, get, get the ball wide, whether it's um, from a kick or a pass. So, yeah, an interesting uh, clash of styles, and I think we'll see some you know real interesting tactical um, battles over the next two tests as well play out. Well, even former teammates were just so impressed. I was sitting watching the match with Drew Mitchell next to him most of the time, and he's obviously good friends with KB, and he's oh, Kirtley's just swallowed a cup of, cup of cement or something. Thing before yeah. this match, just really, really impressive. And for Lau, I mean, it, the kicking expectations we have now are him receiving those high balls. Isn't seen it incredible? Seeing that live is just another level it as well, is, catching what, it above his head. Even just in the warm-up, watching him, I was watching him jump and just how mm. high he gets just from standing jumps. It's nuts. And then to see him in full flight, it's so incredible to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's almost unstoppable, isn't it? Ireland have got some guys that are good in the air, but they just even they had no um, no answer to, to Izzy. So, yeah, magnificent sight. It, it's a fine balance, though, isn't it? Because I think we're probably talking about the, the one from Kirtley Beal, I think, what, midway through the... Well, actually, I think it was in the 70th minute when Kirtley Beal puts up a midfield bomb and, and Israel takes it and, and continues running for 20 metres. Th- those sorts of moments are a little bit, I think, New Zealand-like with Ben Smith and, and Bowden Barrett and how they combine. You often see Ben Smith pluck it out in the air and continue and the attack goes. But 
there's a fine balance between doing those sorts of ones and kicking crossfield kicks because there was what, three or four times where the Wallabies, uh, Kirtley Beal and, and Bernard Foley, looked for, for Folau on the wing and they the kicks were, were really wasteful. Uh, do you expect Australia to kind of continue with those tactics in the second test? Yeah, it was an interesting one. I think talking to, to the guys, it sounded like the, that was the players' um, strategy more than anything. Um, you know, they'd, they'd identified that as, as something they could use and, and uh, catch the Irish off guard a bit. We had a checker during the week saying, mate, we're going to run it at all costs. And then, you know, it was, you know, classic uh, cat and mouse game of, of them putting those kicks across. So, yeah, I think we'll we'll see a, a bit less. Um, that they'll, they'll try and run a little bit more. But um, it, it's, as they keep saying, you're mad not to use the likes of, of Falau in the air. So it's... Um, yeah, just creating a more well-rounded game, I guess, and, and keeping opposition guessing, which um, you need to do. You just can't become predictable at Test rugby. That's um, that's a death sentence, basically. And that seemed to be a, a you know a lot of the thoughts of, of the likes of Rod Kafer, George Grieg, and people in the Fox Rugby co- commentary team. That yes, you need to utilise um, sort of the high ball when you can, but you just need to run it you know, in those situations as well. And I think maybe that was one of the biggest criticisms that I heard just from the people I was working with was just make those choices and, and run with it when, when you need to because that's how you're going to score is just having the ball in your hand. Well, the, the Australians aren't the only ones doing it. I think Bowden Barrett does it does it continually and it doesn't always work for him, but it, it might work once every three times. And then if you're going to score a try off the back of that, well, then you'd probably say one in three is pretty effective. Yeah, and, and we saw Australia using it to get, actually get out of their own territory as well. And I, I think the, the rationale is even if you don't um, get the ball yourself, you, you're putting huge pressure on the opposition and you might win a breakdown penalty anyway because they're going to be isolated um, and, and having trouble securing their own ball. And if you yeah, kick it towards the sideline, then they're, they're limited as to what they can do in counter-attack anyway. So, yeah, there's, there's some logic to it, but you, yeah, you don't want, want to see them becoming obsessed with it, do you? Mm-hmm. They need, need to keep uh, mixing it up, basically. Well, speaking of the breakdown, David Pocock, his first test <laughs> since so 2016. Good. Lou, uh, do, are we surprised? Not surprised at all. It's David Pocock. I mean, it, it's incredible. And I think he'd be, he's had a break. He's been back. He hasn't played as many games for the Brumbies as he probably would have liked and as maybe Checker would have liked. But... He's back in it, and he was he was impressive and incredible, and I think he just brings something to that back row. And and I mean the new back row combination. What what did we think about that? Was that something that that was a success? I'm assuming so because he was so effective there. Michael Hooper was still Michael Hooper and doing what he does so well. And then you had the Caleb Timus um, making his debut, and and he seemed to have a really good game too. Yeah, I thought yeah Caleb was was pretty quiet, but he's on he's on debut and didn't didn't get a lot of ball. I'm sure he'll he'll be better for that. But yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised with how well Pocock and Hooper work together because at times it has been a little bit of an awkward mix, um, getting in each other's way a little bit, which is natural because they've, they've played the same position. But, yeah, they, they obviously had talked it through pretty well and they, they seem to have um, have their roles sussed out. And, yeah, Pocock, uh, you know, Hooper making those dominant tackles at times, which then allows mm. uh, Pocock to get over the ball and, and do what he does. So, yeah, it was just an unbelievable display um, considering he'd been out for 18 months um, and... and uh, I was and wasn't surprised because the Irish uh, pride themselves on being, you know, very good with their own ball and and and, and stopping the likes of Pocock um, from from getting over it. But that just just shows that that he really is a class uh, class on on his own when it comes to breakdown strength. Scored a try as well. <laughs> yeah, he did score a try. I think I think with Pocock the, the the huge effectiveness and we've seen it throughout the Six Nations earlier with England and and their struggles with with not being able to secure their own ball. 
the Wallabies at times last year couldn't do that too without Pocock and, and having him there and slow the ball down. It's it's not even if you win it every time. It's just the fact that Connor Murray wasn't really able to get quick ball for his outside men uh, very frequently. And when he did, I suppose the outside backs with their uh, brilliant reading of the play just put on such big hits that the, the, the tackle effectiveness was just so strong that... Uh, Ireland really had very little kind of front football. Yeah, yeah. I think both teams, it was a funny game, wasn't it? Quite a low scoreline in the end, but, but both teams went oh so close to scoring a couple more each. Obviously, we had some disallowed tries and, and, and knock-ons close to the line. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could have quite easily been a you know 28-27 type game as well. So, yeah, I think both, uh, both teams know they've got huge uh, room for improvement. Australia only had six days together. Ireland slightly more than that there at the end of a... A long season, but they've got some gun players to come back in. So it's just it's a really really fascinating uh, situation at the moment. And we're expecting some changes this weekend for for the second test. Surely they've got to bring those those big guys back off the bench. I think the Wallabies yeah, for sure. Wallabies are probably named the exact same team. They've got no injuries, so I reckon they may roll out the exact same team. But Ireland certainly will keep mixing and matching. Joe Schmidt said, and it won't necessarily be their top Six Nations team. I don't think either. He's saying, look, we're going to mm. we have lost this first test, but we're not going to change our plans and I think he, he wants to give that whole squad some game time but yeah I think we'll see Sexton and you know Thurlong and those guys probably will, will start though Yeah we'll, we'll speak to Jamie Heaslip later on to see what his thoughts are around that I think I'm sure Brandon Panger and Mosa will, will, will play again but uh, how did we think he went? Because there was even with his first throw, he lost it. There were probably three or four other times where the Irish putting huge pressure on the line out, and and Pangaramosa couldn't find hit the hit the mark. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a character he is. Firstly, he's great great fun from a media so perspective. Yeah. So we need to keep him in the team from a media <laughs> yeah. perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, first first test and against an outstanding Irish team. I don't I don't think he. Uh, melted down or anything like that. No. He seemed he seemed okay out there. Um, around the field, he was pretty good. Um, he was effective. Didn't didn't shy away from any of the the, the graft. His work rate was pretty mm. good. Um, the scrum functioned well. So and, and the line out throws, yes, uh, obviously slightly off the mark, but it's it's hard to apportion blame there. You don't know if it's a, a communication thing, a mm-hmm. timing thing, and and uh, you know Adam Adam Coleman afterwards, you know, put put his hand up there and said, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get that right. So yeah, I, I think he showed enough there to to keep his spot for sure for yeah. the. You surely got to give him another go because yeah. you're on debut. There's nerves there. That's going to affect you at least in the beginning once you settle in. And then it probably comes down to what we were talking about, Christy, the, the preparation and the lead up in that they don't have much time together. And yeah. then you've got a it's new... A huge ask. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, it would be... It would be disappointing, you think, if, if they did change him and, and maybe based on not a stellar, stellar performance in that area in, in his debut test. So hopefully he gets another go this weekend and you imagine he's probably going to be better for it as well. Yeah, of all, of all the combinations there, that would have been the hardest, I think, to prepare in, yep. in such a, sh- a short amount of, of time because the, the Wallabies back line, clearly a, a huge portion of them come from the Waratahs. But Paranormosa, first test, you've got... Uh, Isaac Rudder, who's still pretty relatively inexperienced, and then Adam Coleman down at the Rebels too. Um, a couple of controversial moments throughout the game. We'll probably go in chronological order. What about the the first one with uh, the no try for Israel Folau? Uh, Adam Coleman puts, uh, I think it was Ian Henderson on the on the deck, probably 40, 45 seconds before the try, um, and then he carries on with it a little bit. 
uh, a little bit of wrestling on, on the on the floor too. Guys, are we happy with? Uh, I think I think Marius Vesthausen said that it was uh, foul play, uh, and therefore you can go back more than two phases if it is foul play. Are we happy? Was it foul play, or was it just um, look just a, a, a dummy runner who got taken down? Yeah, I think what uh, what came back to bite Coleman was that little bit of extras afterwards that that made it so obvious. Like if he'd just made the tackle and, and got up, I think that try would have stood. So yeah, I think he'll probably. Uh, yeah, look look at that uh, on on the review. You you want to say something? Well, what, probably... Okay, what about from a, a crowd perspective, Lou? You were, you were both there, but Lou, I think you were out. Were you outside? Or, or I was in studio at that point, but I was. You could definitely still to get the reactions of the crowd. Do, so. do we want to be seeing an incident like that pulled up? No, because you're in a you're in a Wallabies friendly crowd, so no, not at all. But interestingly, uh, Phil Kern said in commentary. Okay, the dummy pass is dead if that's not allowed because Coleman was committed to that tackle. He thought um, that you know he was tackling guy with the ball, and that's why he'd made that decision to do that. Rod Kafer, who was sidelined, said absolutely not. You can't do that. He knew he would have. What Sam said, you get to a point, and then you probably realise okay, he doesn't have the ball, and then you don't need to give him a little bit of attention afterwards. That's probably what was the undoing. Mm. But from a crowd point of view, yes, of course that you know you you would want that try to stand. It was amazing. And it was really, that's what you want to see as a rugby fan when you go to watch a game live. And the, you know, the the ref got a lot of stick for it afterwards. Yeah, that's for sure. So much. But if that, you know, if that's the law, that's the law. Well, it's, a, it's a fine perspective, uh, fine, fine balance for, for Adam Coleman because we've seen him do one or two of these sorts of things in his relatively short test career. I think it was Ben Smith a couple of years ago and the, the second Bledisloe may, may have been over in Wellington where um, the Wallabies were, were also penalised and, and he sent 10 minutes in the sin bin for, for taking a man out without the ball. So Coleman's got to watch himself. But the real frustration is the inconsistencies with refereeing decisions. I'm not quite sure how, um, a, a, what, five, 10 minutes later, Michael Hooper, tip tackle, Sean Cronin, I think the, the, the hooker who was the, the man who put Michael Hooper on his head uh, from a, a ruck clearance, I think Kaif said it was at least a yellow card throughout the commentary. Are we agreeance of that? I must admit, I think I was tapping away at that point. I haven't had to, haven't gone back and really looked at that one closely. So um, I'm going to plead ignorance there. You, you're, you're thinking yellow, mate. I'm thinking at least <laughs> yellow. I think it's it's close to you're a red. Up. It's close to a red card. Yeah. I think it's just we'd we'd come from seeing the All Blacks only a couple of hours earlier, uh, and a couple of incidences there that were. Uh, it just showed the inconsistencies again. Yeah, should we move on to those other test matches and those, those dastardly All Blacks? Well, do we have to? <laughs> Chrissy's, Chrissy's got plenty to get off his chest. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you want to talk about it because another comprehensive victory. Um, well, Scopy Kepu joining us shortly, but why not? If we're on the subject, just quickly, uh, the All Blacks a huge victory over the the, the French. It was when, tight until that. Yellow, that controversial yellow card came in. The 50 France leading at 51st yeah. minute, indeed. I think it was 11 all. Um, yellow card, penalty. W- w- what's the situation? Luke Pierce, his first test match there, or first T1 test match officiating. Uh, did he get it wrong? Uh, yeah, clearly he did with the, firstly the French guy getting the yellow card, which, which shouldn't have been a yellow card. He, he you know, got him around the chest and it slipped up slightly, but there was no, yeah. I don't think um, he even made contact with the neck or the head. No, no damage done at all, yeah. And then, then clearly Sam Kane, um, yes, the guy was 
falling quite significantly, but he, yeah, a bit of a sw- swinging arm to the jaw, so that, so that should have been yellow. And then Tuan Gafasi, you have a little bit of sympathy for him because the guy was so low at that point, he's coming in trying to make a hit, but to the letter of the law, that's probably a yellow as well. So, yeah, all sorts of question marks there as well. We had It was a sickening um, clash, wasn't it? Yeah, um, he's, I think he's broken Re- his jaw now. Remy Grosso's got, yeah, a fractured skull or, or, or jaw, um, can't fly at the moment, and, yeah, it is a bit crazy that it seems like there's going to be no action taken here. It was also crazy that Sam Kane um, didn't go off for a, a head injury assessment because he was clearly dazed I think he did actually eventually about 10 minutes later but he played on for, for 10 minutes so yeah there's just all sorts of uh, question marks I, I don't know how you know the the team I think it was George Ayub there I don't know how he didn't get involved um, on, on that particular mm. instance so yeah it, it's a shame because um, you know we should be talking about uh, you know all the great play in the game and, and France did play really well until that point, and, and you know, and then the wheels fell off. All right, let's talk about the the great play. Fifty two eleven, they ended up winning three tries in that uh, space where the yellow card came. Um, we're not really surprised though with the with the end result, the the depth the, that New Zealand to be able to bring on a guy like Damian McKenzie who just tore apart the French. TJ Perinara, Nani Alamapi, um, just by far and away uh, blew the game apart. Lou, uh, they were rusty to start off with too, and that's what Sam Whitelock well, said after were. the match was, you know, it was rust. We expected that that was going to happen. The Wallabies, you know, said a similar thing that, you know, even though they started in in an intense fashion, they still felt a bit mm. rusty. So that's what happens in this June Test series is that it is a bit of a slow start for some teams, and then you see the All Blacks just end nicely and and take it all away and get that momentum and. And then it ends up a 52-11 scoreline and looks like an absolute thrashing. Yeah, you can't really complain about the result when it is 52-11. Uh, across uh, what the Indian or the the the, the Bass Strait and then the Indian Ocean over in Johannesburg. This uh, is a cracking match. What a game in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, how many beers were you down when you were watching <laughs> that one, Sammy? I'd only had two beers at that point. We had uh, the, Yenders. the Yenders, the sponsor's product. They were flowing freely up in the... How is it, Yender? How, how do they go? Uh, yeah, yet. look, um, yeah, I'd better keep the sponsors happy. Mm. Solid solid drop. Mm. Um, just You've just triggered my memory, actually, in, in the box, that uh, shout-out to Raylene Castle, who came in and actually predicted to the point the exact scoreline in that game. I Wall- heard that, Wallabies yeah. 18, uh, Island 9, which is... Quite remarkable, so I hope she had I a I think a she dollar. also tweeted out that it was her first test match she'd ever been to, which I kind of found a little bit surprising. Um, the first wall of these tests in charge, I think, was the... Oh, uh, yeah, I think it was the... I saw that tweet too, and I, th- I thought I needed it in charge. All right. Or in, you know, since I've taken... Yeah. I'm assuming that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. F- fair, fair enough. But uh, anyway, the the, the, the the game over at Johannesburg... Yes, back to, back to that. Yeah. Um, so 24-3 it was after what? 20 minutes, 17, 17 minutes um, to England. And you thought, oh, no, this is not going well. See, Khaleesi's first, um, you know, match as skipper. That was a really big deal leading up to, to the week and, and to the match. And then suddenly an amazing, amazing comeback from the box. Yeah, it almost looked like the emotion kind of got to, to South African rugby. It had been built up a lot throughout the, the weeks leading up to it. The fact that first black captain uh, in their, what, 127-year history is a as a, a rugby nation, um, but they came storming back and a guy that you have big raps on, Faf de Klerk, started it with a, a try in the, the 20th minute. Yeah, I, I do like myself some Faf. Great great little player in his. <laughs> um, for, for some reason, he hadn't, um, hadn't 
got much of a look in in the Springbok jersey up until now, which was always curious. But he's just a real ball of energy, isn't he? And um, yeah, helped uh, spark that that comeback. And uh, I, I think the the way that world rugby is sort of coming together now with, I think the Wallabies are on the rise. Um, I think the Springboks are really going to be resurgent now. We're, we're seeing England uh, going the other way. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's kind of a fascinating balance at, at world rugby at the moment. I think this uh, the Springboks team with Rusty Rasmus and, and now bringing back some players from the Northern Hemisphere, I, I really think uh, look out and see a Khaleesi, an inspired choice. I think he, he seems to have galvanised uh, the majority of the country over there, so it's great. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Dwan Vermeulen was immense, I think, for the, the spring box too. Um, England score a couple of late tries to add a bit of respectability to the game. I think 42-39 was, was the final result. So four straight test defeats, five matches in a row, the English have now lost. Eddie Jones certainly have got to, has got to start the way. I'm sure he'd be feeling the pressure. The, the English media uh, certainly going fairly hard over the last month or two. his reaction after that match? What was, what was his comment, Sam? Well, the thing that's got all the headlines is um, he got into another altercation with uh, some Springbok supporters on the sideline there. He's asked about it afterwards and he said, oh, I was just trying to, I was asking the locals where I can find a nice <laughs> bottle of red wine and um, I'm, still, I'm still waiting for the answer. So, um, read into that what, what you will, classic, classic Eddie, but um, yeah, the reality is the wheels are falling off the, the chariot a bit, aren't they? And, and we, we're just seeing history re- repeating with Eddie now that this is always the concern that he has such a demanding, you know, insanely high standards style um, of his players, his coaching staff. Are they getting burnt out again? Is, is this history repeating? And, and you know, uh, obviously when, when the British press get the bit between their teeth, they're, they're ruthless. ruthless so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if they don't win this this next test, um, wow, you know, very, very interesting stuff over there at the, the RFU, as they call themselves. Well, yeah, they, they were poor throughout the Six Nations. They uh, had a couple of guys, notable emissions guys like Billy Vunapola and, and uh, Ben Youngs too. A, a huge second test match. Uh, I think that the last time that they lost five straight was under Stuart Lancaster about five years ago. So uh, Eddie Jones has got a, a lot ahead of him. Amazing how quickly it can turn. You know, this guy was the Messiah a year ago. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I think I don't think uh, you can write off English rugby just yet. I think there's a lot of talent still within there, and I think you've got to almost you've got to appreciate the game and the result and the the spectacle that it was sometimes forty two thirty nine. Uh, quite extraordinary, and, and the fact that it was played at uh, altitude, what a thousand meters or so, what above above the ground, and um, I think the first twenty minutes really took a lot out of the the English, and after that they just couldn't maintain that that incredible start to the game and the pace of the game. We're going to go back and we're going to talk a bit of Wallabies. We've got Sakopi Kepu joining us on the line. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. All right, joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast is the Wallabies tight head, Sakopi Kepu. Thanks very much, Sakopi, for joining us. You're down in Melbourne, I believe, already. Yeah, mate. Um, good morning uh, from cold Melbourne. Uh, yeah, that's good to be. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Um, that's awesome. Mate, how's the feeling within the group? You've just come off a, a brilliant victory, eighteen points to nine over the Irish. How's the how's the group and the spirits? Yeah, look, obviously, you know, you uh, the, the group's pretty happy with uh, the performance and whatnot. Um, um, we've you know sort of switched pretty quickly after arriving down here and wanting to move on from that. Um, that's all done and dusted now, and we want to pick out a few things that that we didn't get get right on the night and. 
and um, and keep doing a few of the good things that we've done and and, and move forward because we we do know that um, it's a massive massive challenge this weekend um, with the Irish sort of wanting to bounce back. Yes, yeah, Sokopi, the, the Irish players said afterwards that it was one of the more physical and, and faster test matches they've been involved in as well. Did you feel the same thing? And, and how is the, the body after that? <laughs> yeah, look, um, you know, I definitely agree with, the, with that. Um, we knew that it was going to be, a, you know, sort of a, a fast match and, and really, really physical one. You know, obviously, with Super Rugby, it's it's quick and, and the impact in that's not as uh, not as hard as Test Rugby, but... Uh, um, yeah, it was it was awesome to um, to get through that one. I was I, I'm not going to lie, that first 20 minutes was uh, intense, and I was blown a bit. But um, it was good to, to to pull through, and definitely feeling feeling the, the soreness this morning. Yeah, it was fun to watch Sakopi. I'm sure there's uh, plenty more discussion to be had in the next few days. But in your mind, what's got to change and, and work on from the Wallabies' point of view leading up to this second test? I'm sure there's uh, things been highlighted already just to improve on. Yeah, um, just from my sort of personal view and looking at the game, um, you know, the, a few things in, in terms of our, our structured play and attack and, and, and that, that I thought we um, were we didn't execute quite well on the night. Um, but more of the same and, and just the defence was, was great and we've just got to keep bringing that um, that attitude and that intensity um, as, you know, um, when things don't go too well, that's what you've got to bank on and I thought the boys did really well. In, in terms of that, and with not much uh, possession at the start, I guess it was it was tough. But we we fought hard and and um, and scrambled really well at times, which was good. So, Kobe, the hallmarks for any front row is is how they scrummage. Uh, you and and Scotty Seo have been together as as front rowers for Australia for a long while. But Brandon, in between the two of you, how how did that go? And uh, the, the scrum really looked like it held up, and you took it to the Irish, which probably would have surprised a few people. But is it a bit different when you're scrummaging next to a hooker who's playing their first test, and and you've never scrummed next to him? Yeah, look, it's it's um. I, I, I'd seen him through the Super Rugby season and uh, his progression and the way he's been scrummaging with Taniella at the Reds. Um, he's been awesome and I had no sort of, no doubts that when, you know, given the opportunity that he was going to do well at test level. Um, and I thought he, he handled it really, really well um, in terms of scrummages and stuff. And um, it's always nice to, to be back in <coughs> scrummaging with Scott. He's, uh, he's, he's, He's second to none uh, in terms of the way he does his work, and uh, it was just nice to get out there and, and those young guys keep me young, so it was uh, it was good. Yeah, you just touched on it there. I, I was uh, getting nervous about calling you you old because I don't want to do that. But there's, <laughs> some, there's, there's some young there's some young balls coming through there, so I, I, I guess you're taking that mentoring role on pretty seriously, are you? And and you know trying to trying to bring the likes of Taniella and and Alan and, and Tom and even Brandon next to you along in the front row. Yeah, look, um, it's it's the, the competitions is always great. Um, you know, it keeps each other honest and pushes each other. And, and for me, it's um, it's definitely um, making me a, a better player and, and keeping me honest with my roles and the way I want to play the game. So, um, yeah, I can you can say it's sort of I can you know share all I do is, is try and share my experiences with them and, and try and give them a heads up and what to expect and and, and, and how to deal with a few things and when time sort of are a bit tough and um, and I enjoy that. I love seeing young guys come through and um, if I can be a, a bit of a 
uh, role model or if I can push them in the right direction, um, that's all I can I can ask for, and um, and and I enjoy doing that. So um, yeah, look, it's been it's been you know the, the two years ago there was a lot of young guys, and now those guys are maturing, and 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 guys like Adam Coleman and those guys have really really stepped up, and yeah. um, Scott and Alan and all, all those guys are really put, are pulled through now, and regardless of who you put in that starting eight, um, there, there is definitely experience and guys that are mature there. What about a couple of debutants there on the weekend, Sokopi, uh, Brandon Pangaramosa, Caleb Timu, uh, Pete Samu as well. What was their uh, sort of reaction and feeling after wearing that gold jersey for the first time? And then I imagine they're, they're both, well, they're all pretty keen to, to get out there again this weekend. And what's that excitement been like when you've got a handful of debutants there? <laughs> Yeah, it was um it was quite a, it was quite interesting, um being on, on this, you know, sort of watching there those guys train through the week. I, I must say I was really, really impressed and guys like Caleb Toomey and then you got Pete Tommy that come out from New Zealand. Um and before the game I sort of you sort of got them and you ask them how they're feeling and you know, then you try and help them calm the nerves or whatever it might be and that they, they sort of you bounce off their energy and you and I feed off that as well, and I, that was it was sort of hearing them in the way they felt before the game sort of made me gives you gives you that that, that bit of a kick as well, and and um, it makes me excited. So um, yeah, it was awesome to see you know them pull on the jersey and after the game and the sheets the way they spoke, um, just the pure happiness and emotion that um, and just wanting to taste more of Test rugby is probably the biggest thing for them. And, wanting to get more because they really, really enjoyed it and they did really well when they got out there. So, Kopi, just uh, following up from Lou, the, another player who made their Australian test, well, debut in Australia, which was uh, Taniela Tupo just playing his second test. Come on, mate, let's be honest. Are you starting to get a little bit nervous about how good this guy's <laughs> going to be? Because he could be anything and... Uh, yeah. The reality is that he's going to be pushing pretty hard for that number three jersey soon. Soon, yeah, definitely. Yeah. As I said, you know that he's, he's him and Alan and guy like Jermaine, they're all great tight ends, and, and they're, they're all pushing, you know, for that spot. And it's keeping me honest, it's keeping me motivated and pushing me really, really hard. So um, again, those guys are keeping me on my toes, and um, he's a freakish athlete, uh, old Tanila. I mean, uh, he's. Yeah. He's, he's built pretty uh, pretty solid, and the size of the two tree trunks, he's uh, he's going to push through anything. So he can carry hard, and he's 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 really maturing in his game. He's obviously had Brad Thorne at the Reds push him hard in terms of getting that tight five work done first, and I can see that coming through um, in his game. And he's yeah, you can see he's uh, he's keeping me uh, he's pushing me. That's for sure. Mate, who does the most damage at the hotel? Buffet out of the forward pack is it? Is it Taniella? Would he be? Would he be number one? Or who can you dob in here, mate? Uh, I'm not quite sure, mate. Him and him and Brandon are pointing the finger at each other, so I don't know who's, who's, who's bashing the buffet more. Him or I think he's just trying to offload it to uh, to Brandon, but no, they're they're, they're up there. Cool. I just wanted to ask as well about the the changing face of the Wallabies since um, since you started your career. Um, you know, a huge Pacific uh, Island influence. And the team um, as well, and also guys, you know, like Pocock and Hale at Petty, 
born overseas, it's a, a real multi, multicultural mix. Um, are you able just just to talk about that at all? How, how that's changed over time and, and the team dynamics there? Because there's a, a huge, in particular, Pacific Island uh, element now, isn't there? Yeah, look, that that, that is um, that that has changed over the time, and, and um, I guess the, the way I see it is is everyone's the movement of of the Pacific Island people back in in the day of um, you know, so the guys, well, firstly the, the guy that we all as Tongans looked up to was Willie O and and Daniel Manu, those guys that that first sort of played for the Wallabies back in the day. Then you had George Murphy and, and Cliffy and those guys, um, you know. And then now there's there's a lot of guys that, that have come over and for, for for opportunities and guys like Marika that have came a different pathway through um, through league and then sort of swapping back over to Union. So yeah, um, myself being in the situation where I moved over ten years ago, um, everyone sort of. Um, come over for the opportunity of, of playing professional sports and, and, and getting a bit of, um, uh, seeking a bit of life from, from the Pacific Islands. So, um, and, you know, obviously everyone, every, every, I guess every second person plays some sort of sport or mainly rugby and rugby league, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's good to, good to see those guys do well and, and it's about pushing them and, and making them, uh, make the most of the opportunities that they're given and the environment that we're in. Yeah, so that you feel like you're continuing a legacy uh, almost of some of those early um, Pacific pioneers in the Wallaby jersey, and 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 you're representing for you know for, for other cultures as well. Some of those guys. Yeah, look, you know, if, if I can be half the player that those guys were, um, it'll be you know a massive, uh, massive, uh, I guess, honour. But yeah, I mean, I, I still look at those guys in in, in awe and. And you know George Smith playing against him two weeks ago. You know you still get that. You're kind of a kid. You know you go up and shake his hand. That you know I was lucky enough to tour with him in 2008, just as a his first first spring tour. Um, and to see him still running around keeps you, you know, sort of, you know, that, that well factor. But um, yeah, I mean those the, those were the guys that you looked up to, and and it uh, done a. Gave gave the the Polynesian and the Tongan um, people a, a good name back then, and, and you just want to make them proud by continuing on that that uh, flying that flag. Well, Sakopi, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Half the player you've you've played ninety odd Test matches, <laughs> and you you think you, you you're still trying to be half the player they are. So um, <laughs> the humble Sakopi Kepu. I think you're doing all right, Sakopi. Um, now you said at the the top of this about Ireland and how hungry they're going to be this weekend, and and I guess the wounded beast, if you like. What sort of changes are you expecting? for this second test because I think a lot of people were surprised uh, at the side and the changes in that opening test uh, that they made for that first one at Suncorp Stadium. Yeah, look, like we, were, we were sort of surprised as well and, and as any coach does, they, they obviously go through a process of things and they know what they're doing. So, um, yeah, I'm sure he'll start all those guys that predominantly I thought that played in that Leinster uh, final and they've had a massive, massive season. So, um, those guys will get an opportunity, I'm sure. And again, it's you know they, they're they're top class players, and they haven't you know they've won back to back competitions, and they've won a six, six nations. So they're no um, pushovers. They're they're definitely going to be for up up for it this weekend. And um, 
yeah, I, I, I can only see the intensity and then the battle uh, go up a notch this weekend and it's something that we have got to be prepared for. So, um, yeah, uh, we, we, we're going to be up against the Fighting Irish this weekend, I'm sure. You certainly will be. Uh, Sokopi, I'm heading down to Melbourne tomorrow. I believe it's pretty cold. Uh, who are you rooming with at the moment? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I'm rooming with Simon Karevi. Um Yeah, no, he, he's always dancing with his shirt off and, and, uh, <laughs> and stuff. So, like, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, he's always waking, waking me up in the morning. But, um, no, it's good, mate. It's, it's really cold down here, so make sure you pack a few jackets and a few beanies. It's pretty nippy. Yeah, yeah thanks, think, mate. I think Christy's angling for an invitation there, mate. So don't, don't <laughs> <leave this here. laughs> and um, actually, talking to to Brandon up in Brisbane as well. He reckon David Pocock had some some pretty good uh, music going in his room. The, the African beats. Have you have you got wind of those? Is he he's the the party in the in the room there? Oh yeah, yeah. I I um, it's funny because when Tony's on DJ, he plays a bit of uh, plays a bit of Lucky Dube, which which I like as well. He's he's a uh, South African artist, reggae artist, I grew up listening to, and Paulie's Paulie's good. He's into bit of everything, so um, Tolu Tolu Latu is always on the uh, on the DJ, and he's he's playing all sorts of uh, different genres to to cater for all the boys. So no, it's been it's good. Who do you not let uh, in charge of music? Who's got the worst oh, taste? Surely be Nick Phipps, wouldn't it? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, I think I think Bernard Foley. He's uh, <laughs> Uh, you never give you never give the the jukebox to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, Kobe, before we finish up, mate, who's the worst person to room with over the what the ten years you've been uh, with the Wallabies? Oh, worst person to room with. Um, uh, I'd probably say Tatafu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's always he's always got his shirt off playing the ukulele. Um, he even got me singing with him uh, during the World Cup when we were in for a long for a bit. Um, but yeah, he's got his. Uh, he loves loves to to get the chainsaw out every now and then. <laughs> well, this this podcast doesn't go to England, so you're safe, mate. You're yeah, safe exactly. for the time being. Um, well, so Kavi, mate, a pleasure to join you, and and thanks for giving up the time. Go well this weekend. I'm I'm sure you're going to be coming up against a, a Tag Furlong and a, a Keane Healy, a Sean Crone, and a, a pretty formidable. Leinster starting front row. So good yeah. luck and play well and, and look forward to set, catching up with you soon. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Kobe. See you, Kobe. Well, always good to catch up with Sokopi Kepu and uh, nice to get a little bit of insight from what's happening uh, in the rooms and hearing the Tafu to Pilota now, someone we all know. <laughs> a lot going Poor on. Poor Taf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shots fired uh, at a man that can't defend himself. Uh, Lou, to be fair, we've uh, we've really led Sakopi into that. He's the world's nicest man. Yeah. <laughs> You've demanded that he that he takes down a teammate. So don't let's not let's not uh, put the knife into Sakopi here. All right, we're going to go. We're going to go to another person that we spoke to just a couple of weeks ago, and we'll probably talk a little bit about character references there. I think Sam, you've got an incident you want to bring up with uh, with. With with Jamie from a, a few years ago with Sir Richie McCaw. Well, he's not quite Sir, but uh, look forward to chatting to him in just a moment. Lou, thanks for joining us on the pod today. Thanks for having me, guys. What a thrill. My very first uh, Fox Rugby podcast. You seem extremely excited on this, this Queen's birthday. Yeah, it's I know. I'm, good, I'm good pumped. I'm, you know, I'm just hoping I'm going to invite back because it's been fun. I'm sure you will. We'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks' time. We're going to... 
dial the phone and get Jamie Heaslip now all the way speaking in Dublin. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. All right, we're speaking with Jamie Heaslip here from Dublin. It's early in the morning over there. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, you know, like like most Irish people, we're still licking our wounds a little bit from the weekend. But, um, you know, we are uh, approaching the week with, with gusto and a little bit of enthusiasm. Um, because, as we all know, it was a great match, but there's uh, there's very little between the sides, which makes the second test all that more interesting. Uh, like, obviously, an 18-9 defeat is not the way you would have hoped for. Um but what are the the positives from from that match from an Irish perspective coming into to Melbourne? I think the, straight out the gate, when you look at the team that started, and um, it was great to get uh, you know exposure of of Joey Carberry, um, exposure for John Ryan. He he has a good bit of exposure in the front row, but good to see that. Um, you know he put he put Rob Herring out there instead of Sean Cronin, which. Uh, I, I would always start uh, Nugget, aka Sean Cronin, um, because he's made. You know, I don't know why he's made something like fifty something of a sixty something uh, test caps off the bench, and I think it was you should have given him a start because he was the form hooker in Ireland at the time. But uh, it was you know you have to test this you know test this depth. You know, Joey uh, they put Ian Henderson in on the second row, so he made the calls. Um, they, you know, they gave Jordy Murphy some more international time. Jordy has plenty of international caps, but he hadn't started in a long time. Yeah. Uh, Kiri Marmy got some more time off the bench, albeit three minutes. Uh, Jordan Larmer uh, came on after twenty twenty odd minutes for Keith Barrell. So all these guys, you know, if you if I know it's a very short term view in terms of the game, but a long term view in terms of the World Cup, you know, you could argue we we, we you know every squad needs. You know, you need thirty. You need to be able to pick from thirty-four players that can start international test rugby against quality sides like Australia. And the standard not drop. I'm not saying the standard drop, but it was one of those games where he changed it up. Um, and I expect to be, I don't know, eight, nine. There's talk of eight, nine changes um, on this side of the water that will be made coming into the second test. So that vital experience at that international level uh, is is straight out the gate. Uh, the, the, one of the biggest takeaways from this. Yeah, and I guess Joe Schmidt, with the, the great success that he has had, Jamie, um, he's got that credit in the bank with the, the Irish fans and media, doesn't he, that he's, that he's um, I guess, got the luxury of, of taking some, um, some experiments with his selection. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he wouldn't have done that if, if they hadn't had such a great, great season. So were you surprised, though, that he, that he did that in the first test? I guess, you know, logic dictates you maybe experiment later on in the series. Um, like when is there a good time? You know, it's, it's, I know it's a test series. He's going to change it at some point. The only other window he has is November series. He's not going to do it during Six Nations window, which is a competitive window. You know, there's, there's, there's a trophy to be played for. I know they, they, they put a trophy or they put something anyway up for grabs on these tours, but it is a tour, you know, um, for the Aussies, they're warming up for the championship. For us, we're kind of coming to the end of our season, you know, and it's, it's a window for him. He's only got this window, November window, to experiment with his side. There's no tour next year coming into the World Cup, and there's only four warm-up games for us. So there's no good time. I think he's going to make more, probably change it up again this week. And then the last game might resemble something like a, his his 
favourable um, starting side, let's call it. But mm. who knows? He could change it again. You know, I know Joe. He's quite pragmatic. Um, he will be thinking. You know, it's it's a weird paradox. You got to, you know, the coach's got to live week by week, but he's also got to think long term. Cheka has been doing something as well for the last since the last World Cup. So um, both, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if both sides make some changes. Um, you know, some might be forced a little bit more uh, than others, but uh, all I, I think both coaches will be happy with how their players went, separate from the actual uh, outcome of the game. Yeah, for for sure. Uh, a couple of guys in in particular stood out. I thought James Ryan in the, in the second row was was fantastic. Uh, clearly, Conor Murray did did pretty well too um, with with slow ball with the the success of of David Pocock. How how do Ireland and, and being a back rower? How does Ireland uh, try to to mitigate mitigate the the effect that someone like a David Pocock, or the Michael Hoopers of the world, can do? Because they they really had huge success. Would you expect someone like a Dan Levy to come in uh, straight away and, and start at open side? Well, you know, um, I'm not the coach, um, but I, I I you know looking from the outside in, I think in terms of the breakdown, our back row were outplayed, and outclassed, um, and you know, it's always tough going up against, like, basically Hooper and Pocock are the two best in the world when it comes to, you know, being a double act at the Rook. You know, them on their own um, is tough enough. But you, when you have the two of them, they're at every Rook or every second Rook. One or both of them are there. Um, you know, you've got to respect that. So that makes you commit numbers. At times when Ireland looked dangerous is when they only really had to commit, you know, the ball carrier plus two, not the actual... Um, not the actual safety, you know. Um, so they only had they only had three essentially at the rook, and they were able to create quick ball. But when or uh, Hooper got there, they were they had to commit four. Might not sound like a whole a whole lot, but you know mm. that has a knock on effect. Um, you know, there's a lot of chat up here of, of of you know that same question that you asked. Um, you know, it, I, I think it, it like I like I you said it's a it's a tour so this is the only opportunity for him to experiment with the side i think you know bringing dan levy in and maybe even ty burn and capping tyg and and bringing dan levy in there those two have been probably the best in the pro 14 and in europe in terms of getting turnovers themselves and i think it'd be a great way of seeing where they're at in terms of international um poachers let's call them guys who are blessed in the dark arts yeah um i'd also you know to be honest i'd like to see jack conan get a start at that level as well uh, i'm a big fan of jack conan and, and, and what he's capable of um so you know that's, you know maybe even jordy murphy um giving him a run at, at eight or something like that but you know it, it's easy for me to say from the outside to make all these changes you've also got to you see you've got to you've got to pepper with with Keeping consistency in the side through the core of it, um, in in terms of kind of uh, direction and leadership and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's very hard to make a draft of changes, you know, a waft of changes, I should say, uh, while keeping that consistency. So that's that's the that's kind of the secret sauce that um, that a coach like Joe kind of uh, has to mix up. 
Yeah, I found it quite a, an interesting clash of styles as well, Jamie, with uh, the Irish, of course, playing that uh, that pressure, multiple phase play, grinding away and, and, and searching for, for weaknesses, whereas Australia clearly were trying to shift the ball wide to those you know big, powerful strike weapons in the backs uh, nice and early. Um, Joe Schmidt's a very smart man. Um, just firstly, what, what did you make of that you know, tactical battle, and, and do you think Joe will, will you know, throw some different stuff at uh, Checker and the Wallabies next week? Um, see, it's, it's it's really funny. Um, we're quite used to these back-to-back games. From when we play in Europe at, at Christmas time, we play a home and away against exactly against the same side in Europe. And you know, I would imagine he'll draw on that experience um, of of doing that, where you know you wouldn't have shown your whole hand in that first test in terms of moves and set of plays and the way you want to play. If anything you would have had a game plan that also helps that second test game plan, if you understand me. So you might have had a couple of things that you're showing that you're kind of half showing as a bluff and then you're showing things that are working. You know, you're you're, you're playing, you're half playing mind games as well, you know. Um, but I'd imagine, uh, I, I don't know, you know, like looking at the game, they might change the kicking game. You know, they, they, they did a lot of contestables, which is not uncommon. Um you know, I think Rob Carney definitely went up against Falau, but, you know, I think Falau just edged that, I think it's fair to say. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hard. You know, Falau is just so dominant in the air. He, he pulls on those AFL scales. But, um, you know, they might change the kicking game, go long, as opposed to contestables. I don't know. Um, but other than that, I think I think they'll change their their launch plays of scrums and lineouts. They'll double down on some that worked. Um, you know, they asked a lot of questions around that actual rook and coming back against the grain and stuff of Australia at times. Uh, defensively, you're right. I mean, during the Six Nations, the times that they were exposed was out on the edges when teams forced them to cascade in and, and the, the tries, you know, one try was kind of like a missed tackle, I suppose, but, um, both tries for Australia came from Ireland's, uh, the spacing of the defensive line. Uh, questions being asked of it, uh, and placing a lot of pressure on on those outside channels. Like they're tough to defend in, you know. Those outside channels are really tough to defend in, and you need your spacing to be right to make that job easier. But when you have people like Curtly Beale and, and and Foley working with each other, who are such good distributors of the ball, they can get it into the hands of those strike runners that you're talking about. And they're, they're you know, it's not often you see Ireland not score any tries, mm, you know. You know, and and when they don't score tries, it, you know, if you look back in their games, they they kind of try and grind it out with points. And um, you know, the France game being being a good example during the Six Nations, but Australia outscored in two tries to none. You know, but when you look at the sta- attacking stats of both teams, Ireland edged them out on everything else: on meters, carries, defenders beaten, line breaks, passes, offloads, turnovers conceded, even. Um, Australia, sorry, uh, had had fewer turnovers, but that just shows you that Ireland had the majority of the ball, they had the majority of the territory, but that their execution probably wasn't um, wasn't there at times, or not. That's unfair. Sorry, their execution wasn't as clinical and as ruthless at times. But you know, you also have to give credit to Australia, who were very aggressive. Uh, defensively, you know, very aggressive. In, indeed, indeed you do. We're speaking to former Irish captain Jamie Heaslip, a man who played 95 tests for Ireland and five for the British and Irish Lions. Uh, Jamie, you've already told us that you, you're not Joe Schmidt, that you're not the coach of Ireland, so well, that's on the record. But 
if 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 you put yourself in Joe Schmidt's mind this week, how like what what weaknesses do you see within the Australian side? How would you go about defeating them to get back in the series? Well, there's nothing between the two sides. You know, Ireland Ireland had a majority like they edged a, they edged possession, edged the territory. I mean, they they're like you know even just I don't know the actual numbers, but even looking at um, where a lot of the game was played, a lot of it was played in the Australia half, and they were really unlucky not to score some tries. You know, CJ probably uh, was you know he 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 popped up and went the wrong way on the line. He'll look at that himself. He'll probably be a little bit disappointed in that himself. And also, there was a knock-on on the line by CJ as well, which he'll he, he probably be a little bit disappointed. You know, there's two tries right there that changed the game. Correct. Um, you know, uh, you could argue that Australia had two other very good opportunities, and 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 you know, you could go for that very very easy. But you know, Ireland will take confidence that they created a lot of opportunity. They 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 heaped a lot of pressure on them. Um, you know. Pocock turned the ball over at, at at times that you know you thought Ireland were really notching up that 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 pressure. Um, so there'll be a lot of positives, but they'll be disappointed with the um, not getting probably more return in their investment in the Australia half. Um, but they'll be they'll be confident in this, you know. Um, they'll be confident, and and it'll, it makes for a great test. You know, they'll know that they got to hold on to the ball. They got to be patient with the ball. Um, you know they 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 cut some good lines and and, and asked some questions of Australia's defence. They got Australia because they were so aggressive defensively. Uh, at times, didn't respect that front door runner a lot. You saw James Ryan make some line breaks off the back of that. And um, CJ made his line break off the back of that because Australia were trying to overread and take that um, take that backdoor pass, that backdoor runner out. Uh, you know, it worked a lot of things. I think Conor Murray got an absolute hoot of a of a hitter, Karevi. Um, so Ireland will know that, and they will they will probably look at that element, for example, as one example in attack. Yeah, and you just mentioned uh, James Ryan there, um, a guy that I guess us down under haven't seen as, as much of, um, unless you're getting up in the middle of the night for the the Six Nations. But we'd certainly heard all the the hype and um, obviously 23 professional games and, and no losses before Saturday night. But he he well and truly rose to the occasion, didn't he? At 21 years old, uh, he he's yeah got the potential to be an absolute great of the game, doesn't he? Look, I mean, you know, I. I that's you know that's the media being the media. They were building up the hype for this kid. Never <laughs> lost the game. He was always he was like he was never going to go his entire career, you know, without, without losing a game. You know, I, I never understand that. But look, that's the gig. Um, <laughs> the kid itself, he's a good, he's a really good kid. Um, you know, he he is. You know, the start of his career, he had a. You know, he would have been going earlier, except he had a he had a pretty nasty injury. But he he that he used that time really well to to build himself up. You know he was still a bit um, lean, let's call it, when when he came out of the under twenty setup. So he put a bit of meat on the bones. He's going to put even more meat on the bones. I'd imagine this off season coming after this tour. Um, but his work rate, he is he, he you know he's the you know my I look at that kid and I go that that's the new prototype for a second row going forward. You know, big man, athletic. Um, not afraid to carry, not afraid to tackle, gets through a huge amount of work, rolls up his sleeve, um, you know, is benefiting from the tut- tutelage of uh, Stuart Lancaster and Leinster in terms of 
of playing the ball, offloading the ball, running good lines, you know, not just putting his head in the sand and rucking, rucking, rucking. You know, um, and um, him and Ian Henderson, I thought, were a very good combination. They were like having another two back rows on the field, you know, if I was to be honest. And, um, you know, I, I, they, they, they just kind of, I suppose, they've upped the ante in terms of uh, what's demanded of the second rows. And they brought their kind of set of skills. And now whoever gets selected this week will, um, you know, they'll want to kick on and, and bring that standard uh, to another level again. For sure. Jamie, I'm not going to keep you too much longer because uh, I know you're back in Dublin, but your wife might want to go to the beach again like in Portugal a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) don't want to get told. You obviously haven't been to the beach in Dublin. (laughs) 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 But what what are some of the guys like like Johnny Sexton, who we look at as a a very serious customer? We got told last week that Michael Checker saying that, oh, I wouldn't have been wanted to be in Joe Schmidt's shoes, saying, sorry, Johnny, you're not going to play... like start this game, but those kind of guys, the, the guys that you've spent a lot of time with at Leinster, what are, what are they like? Kind of when they're not in the public eye on the field, uh, when when they've got cameras on them. Um, well, I don't think Johnny's too different from the field at times. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I used to drive him mad with 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 me being relaxed, but you know, like most these guys, you know, they're competitors, right? You know, and. Um, of course, everyone wants to play every game, you know, but, you know, it's the coaches, it's the coach who's got to think, give that long-term view, you know, he's got to give other people chances. And, you know, for whatever different, you know, one of the reasons possibly why, why anyone who wasn't starting last weekend would have been like, I don't want to give another guy a chance at my spot, you know, um, but the coach has got to think long-term view because, you know, injuries happen, form, all sorts of different things happen when it comes to World Cup. Right, so we, we we found that out to our detriment um, at the last World Cup, where we had between injuries and all sorts of things. You know, we had five six guys gone after our last group game, and and you know that kind of hurt the overall standard of our of our team against Argentina. Also, Argentina. Now, in fairness to them, they had a, a their game plan kind of outmatched our game plan. But anyway, um, you know, the, the, those guys would have wanted to start it. I think it was an interesting conversation with with. Johnny and Joe, but knowing Johnny, he probably obviously went fair enough. I'm going to add value to the squad, and and he would have helped Joey, you know, and he would have helped the team, and he would have demanded high standards of training, just like anyone else. Um, you know, there probably is not as many uh, senior leaders that have been there in the past. Um, but you know, this is again, this tour is an opportunity for guys to step up and step into those leader to, leadership type roles. Um, you know, I know Robbie would have been stepping up into that. Uh, Jordy Murphy, Keane Healy, Sean Cronin, those kind of guys have been around now for a while, so they've plenty of experience to step into those roles. And um, I'm sure everyone, they kind of as a group, got together. What day is it today? It's Monday now, so yesterday and Sunday, and they kind of reset themselves. And now, you know, they'll be hitting the ground today. It's evening time, your time. So they would have already had a day now. Of, they probably had a walk through or kind of a light jog through. Uh, a lightweight session and a lot of work off field in terms of video work, you know, unit meetings, team meetings, uh, individual meetings in terms of working as a group, as a collective to get better. 
Rightio. Well, look, they're, they're down in Melbourne. It's going to be much colder, so it's probably more Irish conditions, I dare say. So that's one thing in their favour for this second test. What's and your... better coffee. And... From what I heard, Melbourne has better coffee as well. Great coffee. And I can report your, your media, Jamie, the Irish journalist, were having an absolute whale of a time in the middle of winter on the Gold Coast, uh, swimming around, splashing around in the water there. They were, they were absolutely relishing it. <laughs> Jamie, where, who do you see winning the second test if you're going to put like a gun to their head? Who, who wins it and why? Oh, well, I go with Ireland all day. You know, I see the world through, I see the world through some very tinted green glasses, guys. Um, you know, but uh, and to be honest, look, that's backed up by a couple of things. Um, there's nothing between the two sides. There, re- there, there really isn't. I mean, if you if you look at Ireland were very good with retaining the ball. Um, you know, they had they had nearly twice the amount of rooks, for example, uh, than Australia. They had more possession, more territory. And they're very good at it. Their set play actually uh, was a bit bigger. You know, Australia's line-out wasn't exactly firing well. I thought Ireland did really well off their own ball and asked a lot yeah. of questions of the Australia's line-out. Um, the scrum was 50-50 bar... You know, there was one penalty that went Australia's way, which I'm sure Ireland will be asking questions of that. But, you know, um, there's, Ireland got the edge in a lot of fields, a lot of areas, except just for the scoreboard, obviously. Um, so it just shows that there's, there's not a lot between the two sides. Uh, everyone will have learned a lot in the first, uh, the first week. Now, the flip side of that is that Australia only had six days coming into the first test together. Ireland had more time together. Um, Australia with another week under their belt with confidence and uh, make for a way more interesting prospect. I still think it's going to be a close game every for 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 the last while, even the last games I played against Australia. Um, it's always been like a, a six to ten point game, you know, very yeah, close. The last twenty minutes uh, of the game. game. Yeah, this game is is no different. This this test I don't think is going to be any different. I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the Ireland squad just purely because, like I, I mentioned previously, you know. Like when else has he has he got an opportunity to change the squad? You know, um, he won't be caring about rankings. I know Ireland are ranked number two in the world. He won't be caring about ranking points or anything like that. He'll be caring about the long term view here, which is you know win a World Cup. Um, and how do you win a World Cup? You got to first get yeah, got to get into the final. You got to get in the semi final. Got to get a group. And to do all that sort of stuff, you need a really strong starting squad. Uh, New Zealand have been have been great at developing their squad over the years. Um, Australia, Cheka has applied the same kind of kind of theory, and he's now he's you know he's he's made no bones about it. He's now starting to to narrow down that go down that funnel and and, and narrow narrow it down to the to the squad that he wants. And uh, it's you know I wouldn't be surprised if you see Australia make one or two changes. I just don't think they're going to make probably as many as Ireland. Um, but again, like I said, it's going to be it's going to be a tight game. I think Ireland are going to do it. I thought they were going to do it in the first. I actually still thought Ireland were going to come back into it with ten minutes to go in the last game. Oh, well, um, hmm. but, you know, but I, I, I think uh, Australia will take a lot of positive from it as well. Don't be surprised to see them attacking those wide channels uh, a bit more. I think Bernard Foley, uh, you know, his crossfield kicking wasn't as accurate as it normally is, so that he'll probably bring that facet into it maybe a little bit more. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of hit-ups in the middle. I mean, we, I, I don't think we saw as much uh, as we wanted to of um, of the 
what's the second? What's it? I'm trying to remember his name in the in the middle of the field. Uh, Karevi, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, Sam Karevi. Not a lot of ball, no. No. Yeah, I think you're going to see more of him. Like he was, I thought he was awesome in defence, by the way. And I think you're going to see more of him in, uh, you know, carrying the ball, strike plays, setting up in Australia, asking questions in those wide channels. Yeah. And just a very quick one before we do let you go. Did, did you watch England Springboks, Jamie? A classic test match? I didn't. I was actually right. I was flying back from London because I I, I did um, I did Sky Sports beforehand in London. I was flying back, so I actually mixed mixed missed the game. But um, I wasn't sad to see Australia <laughs> to see South Africa win. Yeah, no, put the, it that way. The, yeah, the game needs a strong spring box. It just what, what sort of pressure is Eddie Jones up um, under with the UK press now? Have you seen? Seen a few stories and headlines about it. It's, it's amazing that he, he was the Messiah 12 months ago and, and now a bit of a losing streak. He's, he's under some real pressure, isn't he? Ah, look, you don't turn into a, uh, into a bad team overnight, okay? Uh, England are a bloody good team. You know, um, it's great to see South Africa get some form back. Um, you know, they've had a change in, 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 in management and uh, captain and stuff like that so it's great to see all that thing happen and then them getting off to a great start um, it will give them confidence it's uh, always a scary proposition when you think South Africa are getting you know starting to get form back and starting to get a bit of direction back um, you know but the, you know the English boys you know they're, they're <laughs> in England they're either the best in the world or the worst in the world but I think they're, they're a bloody good team and um, you know yeah, they were beaten. I don't think they can argue about it from from what I've seen. Um, but it makes for again, it makes for a great test. You know, uh, there's all sorts of different factors that could have come into it. Uh, people will say it's been a long season for the English players. Uh, same say, say the same for the Irish players. They'll say they're at altitude and all sorts of these sort of things. But this is this is test footy. They're pros. You know, um, I don't think you can lean on those types of excuses. If I'm if I'm to be honest, I think the best team just won on the day. Um, but it's there's still nothing between the sides. It's very similar to the to the um, Ireland Australia series. You know, uh, there's very little between the sides, and, and it made for a cracking second test, which uh, I'm going to be pitching up now in my in my uh, in my house and, and spending my Saturday just watching all the rugby to go. Ah, that's it. There's a, a mouth-watering matches ahead of us. Jamie, really appreciate you getting up in the early hours. I think it's just gone 9 o'clock, so if, hopefully you uh, haven't missed your first coffee and look forward to chatting to you again soon. But really appreciate being able to speak to Jamie Heaslip over in Dublin ahead of the second Test match. No worries, guys. Always good to chat. Thanks, mate. Thank All the best. You. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. All right, joining us from Paris is Fox Sports commentator Sean Maloney. Shawnee, uh, another World Series done and dusted, and the Australian women's side is celebrating their second series win in three years. That's a, a bloody great achievement, isn't it? Well, fellas, uh, let's kick it off with a little bonjour from all the airport. And you're right, it was magnificent from the Australian women's side who took until the final play of their cup semi-final against France to wrap the whole series up. If they had lost that game, then most likely they would not have won the series. So it was the final play of the game. It is worth watching again. I'm sure one of you guys have clicked it up and put it on the internet already. Uh, Emma Tonegato to M. Cherry, as has happened so many times previous for a runaway try, 
uh, they jagged that, and by the time they hit the cup final against New Zealand, the series was already theirs. So, huge achievement, and uh, made that a little bit more sweeter by the addition of Varney Politi and Emma Tonegato to the HSBC World Rugby Sevens Dream Team as well. So, good acknowledgement for those two. Yeah, Shawnee, I've uh, um, been watching the, the highlights today of, of the final and the other games, and I'm going to claim a moral victory, of course, being a New Zealander there, nice. but it's, but it's, it's a, bit of a, a bit of a weird one, isn't it, for the players? Like they're, they're battered and bruised and a couple of tough losses, yet they're the World um, Series champions, and deservedly so, but is, is it a bit of a weird... Were the celebrations a bit muted? Is it a bit of a, bit of a strange one for them? No, God, no. No, they went <laughs> together, but they should have been the most, the most consistent uh, team all year. I've missed the... I missed their awards night last night, but I'm told that they're in uh, in good form, the Aussie women. So, uh, yeah, no, no, no drama. So the one thing that was a bit of an issue for new coach John Manetti ahead of the World Cup next month, uh, Emma Tonegato injured, Dom Detoid uh, injured also. Both had their arms in swing. So, fingers crossed, it's nothing uh, too dramatic for those two. But it really was a year of consistency for the women. And on the men's side, South Africa, how about this, guys? For the first time in a history of the series, the title was decided in the final game of the final day, the final leg. It was amazing. Yeah, that was very dramatic stuff. Uh, I was sort of following that in and out. And it, at one stage, there was people claiming that they only needed to finish third, but then they so that they did actually have to win that final to win the, the World Series, though. Yeah, South Africa did have to jag the win in the cup game. Otherwise, it would have been Fiji who would have come away from France as uh, series winners would have been the well they would have basically wrestled the title back from South Africans who are the current holders of so uh, huge drama guys yesterday in Paris it was a massive massive weekend and uh, the Aussie men's side well they struggled a touch in London and here in Paris as well but Louis uh, sorry Louis uh, Ben O'Donnell has been selected in the uh, World Series dream team for the men as well which is a super achievement when you consider that this is his first year of sevens and he's already in there alongside the likes of Jerry Tuai and coming on in a soccer from Fiji. Big, big year for Bod. Yeah, it's yeah, a real excitement if this men's sevens sides have kind of been underachievers for the last five, six years. But um, under Andy Friend, uh, clearly they won in Sydney, which snapped a, a six-year drought and then and they've reached a, another final since. Um, the, the progression of the men's side overall, despite the last couple of results not being as, as good as they would have hoped for, uh, a successful year for the men's team? Yeah, look, they finished fourth overall, guys, the Aussie men's side, so they're best finishing quite some time, and they were... Uh, they had their, their moments, it must be said. They had some really good moments across the series, and they're just such fine lines. The uh, They're just such fine lines sevens game. So a week previous in London, it was one missed kick to touch. That was all that cost them a win against England. They would have gone through the Cup semi-finals. So uh, we've taken some bits and pieces from the year and under new coach Tim Walsh into the World Cup I expect them to go well. Shawnee, can you, um, first, are you going over to San Francisco for this World Cup? Yeah, I'll be over there. I'll be, I'll be San Francisco. Of course you will be. But just because you got just because you guys and everyone else at Fox have just got it nailed down so quick and you do such a terrific job, you know, of holding a thought back there, that's why 
I can nip across and look after the World Cup as well. It's all, it's all down to you guys. It's all down to you guys. Well, good, good to know we're in safe hands and you've got your voice back and you, you're coming through strongly. Can you just talk the punters through? It's a, it's a very cutthroat format, this uh, World Cup, isn't it? Can you just talk the punters through um, how it's all going to play out over in San Fran? Yeah, basically you can't lose a game, guys. You've got to win every single game. It's Essentially, it's knockout. So it looks as though Australia will most likely play France in their opening game. That's still yet to be confirmed. But uh, if it is, I mean, God, the French are so unpredictable in 15s and 7s as well. So it's not ideal, but you have to win every single game if you want to be crowned the World Cup winner. It's, I mean, what are your thoughts on the whole state of sevens as well? Because we've got, obviously, Olympics, Commonwealth Games, World Series, World Cup. Is it too much? And which, which of those do you think the, the players and coaches actually really want to win? That is a very good question. And I asked that question of uh, a guy who knows a little bit about the world of sevens. Ben Ryan and I got chatting around at the tree with one. telling a story. It's a good name, Hong Kong, And he... Uh, he, Benny Ryan has uh, has obviously the Olympic gold medal at the top, uh, and I don't think yeah. anyone disputes that. But then in terms of second and third, in terms of what they're after, it varies, guys. It varies from team to team, player to player, coach to coach. And I will say this, there is no such thing as too much sevens. No such thing. We need more of it. I want to see... I want to see something domestically kicked off in Australia. It is just the best way to get people excited and into the game. It's a a gateway uh, format of the game in so many ways, and I want more and more of it because it is just so much fun. Uh, Sean, in the last couple of tournaments, the the women have had a few injuries uh, coming out of the the comp games. Uh, On the weekend, Australia didn't have Alicia Quirk and and, uh, Elia Green. So... Clearly being able to, 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 to blood a few of them and a bit more experience. Charlotte Kaslick was co-captain. The chances of the Australian side, despite the fact that a couple of defeats against New Zealand in a row, do you, are Australia favourites going into the World Cup for the women's perspective? I'd, I'd say you probably have to have New Zealand as favourites just on the back of what we've seen in the last two cup finals between Australia and New Zealand. There was actually one or two in key moments yesterday that really stung the Aussies uh, and as you, as you say Chris the, there are a few injuries yet to be uh, confirmed as to uh, how bad the issues are for Tonegato and the toy but if those are out that's a huge blow he can lean on your coach Sean he can lean on Elliot Green Shani Williams and Quirky to come back in but uh, if Tonegato's out that's, that's a big loss and I, I reckon she's that good a player that that would swing favouritism back in Oh, towards the New Zealand side. Yeah, there's no doubt her breakdown steal and, and quick tap to go to set up that try for, for M. Cherry was outstanding uh, on, the, on the weekend. Uh, Shawnee, clearly it's a, it's a big tournament for the, for the players, but it's also for, for the commentators, you guys that are there every match pretty much calling it, it's a big effort too. What's the highlight been for you this year? Because you've pretty much called every World Series. What's been the highlight, the standout moment, maybe a story that you've uh, you've heard or or a person that you've met along the way? <laughs> uh, you meet a lot of people, mate, and that's the beauty of the world of rugby that you are connected right off the bat. It is just such terrific fun. It is, and I, you know what? I'll go back to Sydney. My highlight of the year was. Uh, Emma Tonegato's try 
against Spain in Sydney. Then, of course, the, uh, the, the way that they went about their work there, they won every single game. They didn't concede a single point in Sydney. They were extraordinary. So that would be my highlight. Um, guys, there are so many, you know, like even in... Vegas, Perry Baker providing some moments. Fiji winning in Hong Kong, getting a call in Hong Kong was special too. So it's hard to drill down and keep it to one. But if I had to put a gun on my head, I'd say MZ Tonegato's try against Spain in Sydney and then the girls' performances at home as well. I'd never put a gun to your head, Sean. I would never do that to you. Just just one more on the, <laughs> one more on the sevens before we um, we get to your next uh, gig at, at, at the twenties. We saw Semi uh, Radradra um, amongst others. Um, Wob up at, at London, which was fantastic. For, for the the World Cup in San Fran, is, is there any chance that we get people like that coming in for the World Cup? Just one off uh, guns, guns for hire to, to bring back the guns. Good, good question, Wertho. I'm think throwing some good questions at you. You are. I mean, you guys. Are, I mean, that's why you're the best in the business. That's what you do. Uh, Randrandra, and it was good to be able to pronounce his name correctly as well in London. Randrandra. Um, he, it'll be dependent on, on his release and the contract that he's set up with his French club. The same will go for Joshua Tuosova, the best winger in the world. Uh, another superstar in that Fijian team, Semi Kunitani, he actually has it written into his contract up in France that he has to be released for a couple of key tournaments. So, fingers crossed those guys have their ink in the right direction because they're just, I mean, guys... People's minds were blown with some of the stuff that Joshua and Semi was doing, were doing last week in Twickenham. It was just mm. extraordinary. Yeah, it's not just the Fijians either. It's Quagga Smith from South Africa. You, you see Abelis and Atlas. So uh, lots to, to look forward to. You're at the airport at the moment. You're just about to go check out some under-20s World Cup. Where, where's your destination, Sean? Uh, heading to the south of France, Christy Dorn, oh. down to Perpignan. So that's Very where tough. they've been located the last couple of weeks. Uh, Australia have Italy in their fifth, I think it's the fifth through seventh playoffs. So I called their game against Wales the other day. There's another highlight you should try and get your eyes around as well. Uh, super try. In fact, it's gone viral. Classic go viral situation. The Aussie side scoring against Wales in their opener. They went on to lose that game. A bit scratchy, it's got to be said. I'm just trying to remember, guys. I call that many games, names across the last on, on the weeks. on the right wing, wasn't it? A little bit Israel Folau. Yeah, was, the crossfield kick for yeah, was, J- James Ram, the was, guy in the air. It was it was a Ram man, and he he leapt up court and sent it back in for Max Hansen. So, uh, I mean, there's some there are some moments there that were the good for the Aussies, but for the most part, they were off massively against Wales. And you know what, guys? They should have beaten New Zealand the other day as well. The scrum was on fire, wasn't it? We've seen the scrum firing at that level for a few years now, but, um, yeah, not, not able to... Well, it makes, well, I will say this. It makes a difference when you get three super rugby players back in the team from Queensland Red 2. Let's be honest, probably should have been there from the start. Yeah, I agree. It's I, agree. A, it's, this is, I mean, it's, this, is a, this is a whole other topic, but yep. if, we're, if we're being fair dinkum about... The Aussie 20s is a development pathway. And, and I'll explain to you why I think it's so important. Um, if you're sending your best youngsters across the tournaments like that and they get a taste of winning at that level, maybe they roll New Zealand. Two, three years from now, when those guys are in that next World Cup title, they know what it's like to beat New Zealand or to beat South Africa or to beat England. You've got to take your best side. And I, it was, I think it was poor. I think it was really poor. And it might have been a player's decision, but if it was... 
a management decision to hold back Hamish Stewart, Harry Hockey and George Bataille from the Aussie 20s. And I think, as a whole, Aussie rugby got that badly wrong. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. You only have to look at the likes of Marcus Smith from England, who's played all year for Harlequins this year, and he's an absolute star in the making, yet he's featuring for England. I know it's out of season for the Aviva Premiership, but uh, it's a very good point you make, Shawnee. Sean, not only that, uh, hopefully you can pick us up a bottle of wine or, or something. Yeah, the South Rose of France. Day, guys. So I'll, start, I'll tell you what, very quickly, I had, a, I had an interesting little uh, situation on my first day down in Perth and Long. I had a couple of rosés at lunch, thought I was an expert, went into the local bottle, I picked up four bottles of uh, pink liquid, slammed them on the counter, said to the guy, how good this rosé? Turns out I was buying dessert wine. Oh. <laughs> mate, I... He I'm... goes, ah, in French style, hands in my face, said, mate, come on. So uh, I'm now a rosé expert. Anything from the Provence region is generally pretty good. Was that not in the little bottles, though? Dessert wine normally comes in a half-size bottle. Was, was that a full-size dessert wine? Oh, mate, yeah. <laughs> Come on, That's a ridiculous <laughs> question, that was. <laughs> magnums, double magnums, triple magnums. Send them my way. I'll look after them for you. I think you still owe us some beers from a bit from about three years ago, so we'll need to square that one no, off first. Yeah, no. Uh, can, I, can I just explain to you guys as well? You might have heard my voice was a little raspy in London. Uh, that was off the back of calling in Bezier, that Australia-Wales game. Did a doubleheader, Australia-Wales, and uh, who was the other one? I did Italy v Scotland, and I had a French bloke a metre and a half away from me, open-air commentary box, chain-smoking for three and a half hours. Uh, the combination of the Winnie Red that he was sucking back on and trying to punch out two 80-minute games too much, and that's why the voice went a little, just a tiny bit skew-if in London. Well, I'm glad that you're able to clear that, that story up because there were some, we were defending your honour, but there were some nasty rumours going around the Fox Sports offices that you no, might have, no, you might have no, actually been no. in, a, in a smoky bar or a, a closed door establishment. No, but, no, but no, 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 no. <laughs> it's uh, very nice no. that you've put that, for, for that, that rumour to bed. For once I was actually, uh, were they for once I was actually doing the right thing. <laughs> what's, what's the lesson from that then if you get crook uh, by doing the right thing? It's, it's an, interesting, an interesting moral dilemma. Say that again, Werbo. What's the learning that you've taken out of that? Then you tried to do the right thing and it, and it backfired. What, what, what are you going to do next time? <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be confirmed. Uh, hard to say. Hard to Classic say. hard to say. <laughs> Shawnee, it's great to catch up with you. Uh, enjoy the last week or two over in Europe and look forward to catching up with you again shortly. Okay, let's quickly recap, fellas. What are our key learnings from this chat? Emma Tonegato and Barney Politi, Dream Team winners, Australian women's size, World Series champions again. And what was the other thing? You are some Ben O'Donnell, still. one yeah. of the best seven players on the planet in his first year. Did he, have they announced the rookie of the year? I saw he got shortlisted with the two Fijian guys. Yeah, he got, it, it, yeah no, he, he finished behind Ronnie Sow, who right. was another, I mean, that's, an, that's a story for another day. Sure. Ronnie Sow. Both would have been. Another day. We'll talk about that. Both would have been well, worthy hopefully winners. you get me back again before the end of the season, guys. It's been nice to chat. I do miss you. You know that. Um, and for the moment, I'll say au revoir. I've got uh, some cuff there to put away. Coffee. <laughs> That's French for coffee. All right, mate. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Au revoir. <laughs> au revoir. All right. So good to catch up with Sean Maloney. He seems like he's having a whale of a time over in Paris. Uh, Sam, it's been nice chewing the fat. Let's... Uh, who, who's winning this weekend? 
the second test down in Melbourne. I'm going to be down there. I'm really looking forward to it. Who wins and, and why? Yeah, look, I think the Wallabies, both teams can play a lot better than they did. They've got room for improvement. But for the sake of an exciting finale right here in Sydney, I'll, I'll go the Island, Island, I'll go the Irish in a close one. I'll go the Irish by two points. Interesting to, to hear. I think the Wallabies could go two up, uh, but we will see this time next week. Thanks so much for listening and tuning in. Feel free to drop us a, a review on iTunes, and you can catch us on iTunes or Wooshka. Special thanks to all our guests coming on, to Kopi Kepu, Jamie Heaslip, uh, and just earlier, Sean Maloney, as well as Lou Ransom, who was here for the first half of the pod. Sam, thanks for joining me. I'm Christy Doran. Look forward to catching up with you again next week.